Hello, I'm Kevin Smith, the Editor-in-Chief of International Railway Journal, and this is Rail Group On Air. This episode is all about the future of railway rolling stock. What will the trains of tomorrow look and feel like for passengers? Are hydrogen and battery trains just a flash in the pan? Or are they the next big thing? Joining me to discuss these questions and more are John Santamaria and Alex Paquette. John worked for New York City Transit for 24 years up to 2021, most recently as Vice President and Chief Mechanical Officer of the Car Equipment Division within the Department of Subways. John is now working as Senior Vice President for Rail for Clever Devices, the sponsor of this podcast. Alongside John, we have Alex, Alstom's Customer Director for the Midwest region of the United States. Alstom has arguably led the charge on alternative traction with its Island Hydrogen Multiple Unit, and both Alex and John begin the discussion by providing some valuable insight on the future of this market segment. We also look at the future of passenger experience and maintenance of railway vehicles. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Thanks very much for being here today. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, John Santamaria from Clever Devices and Alex Packett from Alstom. Good day, I'm John Santamaria from Clever Devices. I'm the Senior Vice President of Rail. My goal is to increase Clever Devices' footprint within the rail industry. Thank you for having me here, Kevin. Thanks, John. And, and same to you, Alex. Nice to see you today. Hello, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. My name is Alex uh, Paquette. I'm in charge of business development for rolling stock for Alstom in North America. And um, my objective is definitely to bring mobility solution to the North American market. Also glad to be here. So the first focus of our discussion is going to be on alternative traction for the rail market. And yeah, the first question I had, I'll put this to you first, John. Um, now, how is the market for alternative traction technologies for rail vehicles evolving? You know, we're seeing great progress all, all over the world right now. And, you know, and what do you feel is driving this, this change in the, in the rail vehicle market? Sure. So in my opinion, trains were always more economically friendly than traveling by car. But the rail industry does continue to play a major role. They're investing in various technologies to try to decrease that carbon footprint, whether it's various onboard battery technologies hydrogen as an alternate fuel source, and even looking at locomotives, the latest improved efficiency tier four diesel engines are also another area. So we have a long way to go within the rail industry to reducing that carbon emission. But as I mentioned, there are various areas that car builders and Alex, I'm sure will go into it, what they're doing to try to decrease that carbon footprint. Indeed, uh, for me, I see probably three factors that uh, drive this ask for greener railway technology. One is simply the fact that there's increased a need and ask for, for mobility. Um, by 2050, about 70% of people will live in big cities. So there's a need for people to move, move around, move more. Second, people are more conscious of, uh, of the environment needs and the climate uh, change uh, is affecting all of us. And third, the regulations that are being put in place to force in some way uh, the shift to greener technologies. In, the rail sector as in other sectors. So that's why Alstom is working as others on greener technologies, battery trains, hydrogen trains, and others. Sure. So are there any specific countries you know, that are really taking the lead on this? You no, know, really you know, strong examples of where this is happening. I mean, we can obviously see this in Europe with Alstom, you know, it's rolled out its island, you know, particularly in Germany. Yes, definitely. As you say, Europe is ahead and, and Germany has definitely taken uh, some serious steps in uh, green train technology. 
as in other uh, green technologies, in fact. Um, and we've been part of this uh, this implementation in Germany. We've had Hydrogen Island in service since 2018. Um, we have a fully hydrogen train operation in service also in, in Germany since uh, August 2022. And as of yesterday, September 15th, uh, we established a record of 1,000 kilometers on one single tank of hydrogen with our island again in Germany. So a lot of hydrogen application in Germany, but also their uh, application being developed in, in other countries, in Italy, in the UK, um, but also on the hydrogen side, but also on the battery side, where it's getting traction. Definitely, Europe is ahead of the game, but we also see seeing some pilots being deployed uh, in the US and elsewhere in the world. If I may add then, Alex, that's a good point. Japan and Indian Railways both have introduced various types of solar powered and other renewable energy sources within their train service for their respective countries. Uh, within the United States, several agencies are currently either citing battery technology solutions in future rail procurements, or they're undergoing pilots of some sort. That would include Metro in Chicago, Caltrain and Sacramento RT as just a few examples of starting to see signs in North America of a greener approach. Are there any specific circumstances where you know, batteries in particular are finding favor? In my opinion, Kevin, there are situations where electrification is not available, whether it's an overhead catenary system or third rail. For those short distances, and that distance is still being determined, anywhere from 50 to 80 miles, as an example, creates a great opportunity for a battery solution or hydrogen solution until that vehicle then picks up electrification. It's far more cheaper to introduce that technology, whether on a new train or an overhaul train, than to build in the infrastructure. And for Alstom, you know, the different technologies, whether it be batteries, hydrogen or electrification are really complementary, and it depends on the application. So for example, if you have a short distance to travel, then battery technology is suitable. If you have a longer range to travel and electrification is not possible because of uh, density of traffic or simply cost, then hydrogen becomes a, a good solution. Generally speaking, you know, electrification is, let's say the most, um, proven solution, sure. uh, but as I said, it's not always possible and the cost is often prohibited. I think that also opens the door for hybrid vehicles where you have a little of both. I was looking at a study, I'm not going to mention the city, but a light rail system that was only 10 or 12 miles, but they had a four mile area within the town where the vehicle had to go over a bridge. It's not electrified. So consider what that would cost to introduce an overhead catenary system in that bridge area. Perfect candidate for a battery system to just get them through that four or five mile region. But you would have a hybrid vehicle. And when you get to that point, you would switch over. No, neither of your companies are you know, battery manufacturers yourself. You know, like, how, how do you see that industry and that market? You know, are they increasingly able to meet the needs of you know, rail vehicles and demands? And Alex mentioned you know, the, the limitations on the range of batteries there. Now, do you see that increasing in the future and improving and you know, offering greater flexibility in the range of operation? It has to. You know, in some ways, I, I'm sure we will see evolution as, we, as we've seen on, on, the, on the car uh, sector uh, over the last 10, 15 years. But there are also some physical limitation, right? So we have to work on both ends. Yes, on the battery, but also on the way the vehicle uses the power 
and also working at, as John mentioned earlier, as hybrid technology, having some possibility to recharge the batteries along the way uh, faster in a more um, uh, optimized way. But definitely, I mean, batteries will will evolve, and you know, we're working on that with, with our uh, with our with our partners and suppliers. Definitely, Kevin, I think the the challenge too is you know the operating environment within a rail vehicle falls under more harsh conditions. You know, it's a yeah. wider temperature range. Uh, the complexity and the size of the battery compartment, the battery management system for balancing the battery and health monitoring to protect against those batteries going into thermal runway. These are items that battery manufacturers are currently working on. I think uh, one note is the biggest challenge I've seen, and we were working on this in my prior employment with New York City Transit, is to have a seamless hybrid switching system going mm. from either diesel to electric back to diesel. That's where a lot more work has to be done. And um, I know Alex and his team at Alstom are working on that. It has to be a seamless switching system where the operator doesn't know, theoretically, that you're on diesel or electric or hydrogen and whatnot. Obviously, road and, and bus are active in this field as well. I mean, just a question for John, but you know, are there things that you know, you, the Clever has done in the bus field that you know, can also apply to the rail market you know, in terms of applying these alternative traction technologies batteries you know, to you know, boost their efficiency. So Clever Devices has an electric vehicle monitoring system solution that we've incorporated within our bus sector. Clever, 85% of our business is in bus and we've gained a lot of knowledge. There are various types of battery storage technologies available, whether it's lithium ion, nickel metal hydride, liquid metal, and so forth. You need a monitoring system that has some type of integration with the type of vehicle that's implementing that battery technology. So EVMS, our electric vehicle monitoring system, what type of data is gathered and reporting that helps the agency? Battery and charging data, obviously. The vehicle health status, if that vehicle has any health monitoring information tied in outside of the battery. Uh, driver behavior, believe it or not. We've found a lot of information where on the bus side, how the driver is behaving is he utilizing the availability of what the battery power technology can provide in terms of is that driver adhering to speed and schedule setup? You know, that information the agencies love because they could then turn around and say, well, that battery had X amount of distance left. You were able to do it in less time or you kept within that means. And then there's the, the uncontrollable factors of weather and uh, the track or wayside conditions. So we're trying to take all that information that we learned from the bus side and now slowly develop a rail solution. And we'll talk about that a little later where you look at a condition-based maintenance approach. Obviously, this is a lot of interest to a lot of operators and you know, fleet owners around the world. You know, a challenge for them to you know, access this market. You know, it, it, what can you do to reassure them you know, this, this is a step worth taking and you know, a venture they're worth going for? Well, I mean, there are different things that need to be done to make the move. Right. I mean, as you said, it's in some ways a leap of faith. At Alstom, we work on different aspects. Yes, of course, we work on the technology, making sure that the technology, whereas it be battery or hydrogen power trains, uh, we make sure that the, the technology is there, it's safe, it's sound, it's reliable. So that's that's one step. That's one thing that we contribute to. We have already many trains and service around the world, uh, battery or hydrogen. But that's only one step. As you said, we need to have the end users, the transit authorities or, or the operators 
and the passenger accepting those technologies, right? So we're working at educating the public uh, on, sure. on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that they understand. But we also need to work on uh, the sourcing and supply chain of batteries to make sure that we can actually get those batteries and that when the operator make the move to battery, they're getting something that they know they will be able to rely on for not a two, three, five years investment. We're talking about 30 years investment. So they need to make sure that they're going to be able to get parts from a reliable source for the future. Same for hydrogen. Currently, there are some hubs of hydrogen production, hydrogen distribution that are starting. It's more present in Europe than in North America, but we need to make sure that there's a, a safe, steady supply of clean hydrogen that can be delivered to uh, the train operators to allow for, for operation, right? And we're also working with uh, regulators to make sure that those technologies are accepted and, and proven so that the public is protected. To add to Alex's statement, I look at it, uh, Clever Devices would be sharing analytical tools with the agencies on vehicle behavior, on these electric vehicle monitoring systems that they then can analyze and share with car builders like Alstom. Here's what we're finding on our vehicles. And that would in turn, in my opinion, help car builders like Alstom develop a better product. All these analytical tools are nothing but an aid to car builders and agencies. Uh, we discussed before the complementary aspect of electrification, battery, and hydrogen technology. And there's no one size fit all. And depending on the, you know, the environment, the frequency of, of uh, train travel, the density, and so on, uh, different, um, different needs or the different technologies can be adapted. And this is something that we do you know, on a day-to-day -day where we, you know, we analyze the route profile, the, the timetables, the, the maintenance capacity of the operators, and we can we can advise our customers as to the best uh, the best way forward for them to move to green technology. So, okay, maybe the final question then on this section. But you no, know, where do you both see you know, this alternative traction vehicle market, say, being in in five years' time? You know, given the advance of technology and advance of you know, desire in this to for companies to you know be involved in this field and adopt this new technology for their fleets. Well, so for me, it's clear that the market is already there in Europe. There's four to 5,000 uh, diesel trains still in service in Europe. Those will need to be phased out in the next 15, 20 years. In North America, it's taking a bit more time for different reasons, um, availability of uh, sources of, of, of batteries or hydrogen uh, regulation. Uh, but we're, we're seeing pilots developing both on the transit uh, sector and also in the freight, in the freight sector with uh, greener greener uh, freight locomotives. The way I see it, we're going to go step by step, probably starting with some level of hybrid technologies or pilots being deployed in, in various areas. And then within the next you know, five years, we'll see some quote-unquote real implementation of, uh, of green technology for, for marine service. And clearly in some areas of the country, in the US or in, in Canada, regulations are being passed that uh, require uh, diesel to be uh, phased out in the next 15 to 20 years. So definitely, uh, you know, operators will have to choose between electrification, that which will be uh, a choice in dense uh, areas, or they will need to move to battery or hydrogen technologies or, or other green technologies that might come. We saw some interest in legislation from California, particularly for the you know, the road market there. So exactly. In recent weeks, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, all right. So just to move the discussion on a little bit and and to pick on a point that Alex made previously about the rail vehicles being suitable for their passengers, being attractive places to be. And one thing we wanted to talk about here was customer-facing amenities and important requirement for new rail vehicles. And how are your respective firms addressing this challenge of meeting customer needs and being a pleasurable place to be and to travel? So, um, Kevin, Alex, and uh, Clever Devices is always cognizant of the ever-changing needs of agencies and customers. We have to have our finger on the pulse. We have uh, several solutions that we offer. You know, our Clever Insights, which is a real-time passenger loading and counting algorithms, so agencies can better control and schedule their assignments based on passenger need. Our train arrival prediction system, which we call TAPS, lets you transfer information both on the vehicle and at the platform at the same time, as well as to all handheld devices. Clever Vision, which is our development of the latest LCD infotainment signs with with our very easy to use content management system. And it allows, and the, the biggest point here, it allows a revenue stream capability. So the agencies like that, and where essentially uh, the return on the investment is pretty quick, the signs of making money, customers see the latest news, sports and weather, and uh, it provides them an added and better ride. For you, Alex, you know, from the rail you know, vehicle manufacturer's side point of view, you know, you're, you're the guys that are ultimately producing these, these you know, fantastic vehicles. But you know, what might the vehicles, rail vehicles of the future look like you know, for passengers you know, all around the world? So maybe just to bounce back on, on the passenger um needs and passenger wishes on, on trains. The way we see things at Alstom is that passengers make the choice of using trains for their transportation needs. So we strive at making sure that they have a good experience and that they they actually enjoy their ride. Um, you know, if you're in a super packed metro on a Monday morning, uh, you know, it might be difficult to to enjoy the experience, but the way we we plan our trains and we develop our trains is by uh, mobilizing a our passenger experience team that really analyzes the needs of travelers, whether it be metros, long distance, high speed, and making sure that every step of the journey is taken into account, whether it be for uh, entering the train with mobility uh, solutions, uh, being on the train, having solutions that provide uh, information, provide lighting that is suitable, big windows so that people can see outside when the train is running outside, things like that, so that the journey is is made more enjoyable. So, and in terms of, you know, what vehicle of of, of your future might look like, um, I mean, that's an interesting question. There are definitely some some key tendencies that that we see. Uh, Some are more on the, let's say, hardware side, I'll put it this way. Uh, People are looking for smoother, uh, rides where the, you know the level of comfort is 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 great. Uh, quieter rides as well, both for you know people who are uh, on board, but also on the wayside. Um, brighter, so meaning you know we see bigger, larger windows, so people can feel more like they're part of of uh, the environment, the city, especially when you talk about light rail, but also regional trains where people want to see the outside. Uh, but also lighting. If you think of metro, you're underground, but the lighting inside can make a big difference on how people are uh, experiencing uh, their journey. Seating is obviously part of the comfort, 
right? Especially on long distance. So seat technology are evolving, but also seating arrangement, the way uh, we can use modularity to, to arrange depending on how the train will be used. And sometimes depending even on the day will be used, whether people are using the train to go to work or they're using the train to go to a football game, uh, you know, it might be different. You might need different, uh, different configurations. Obviously, uh, electronic amenities, huge, huge topic. I, everybody wants to be uh, more connected more often, uh, more information. So Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi access, recharging facilities, passenger information systems. Uh, those are things we're definitely working on and that the passengers actually demand. Absolutely. Okay. One thing you touched on there is you know, passenger expectations in the here and now. And we, we know that's a, a challenge for you know, rail. Typically, its technology does not move as fast as things happen in the sort of commercial and in public sphere. You know, how can rail vehicle operators and, and manufacturers you know, come together to you know, help ease that challenge and improve that? Kevin, that's a very good point. When it comes to vehicle design, there's a long time span from the point at which a technical specification is written, awarded, the design process takes place to the point in time when that vehicle is actually delivered can be as much as a four to six year time frame. So the technology that was chosen by companies like Alstom to put on board that vehicle to the end user may look five or six years old by the time they see it. That's just uh, some of the punches you may take. And maybe a way to get around that, and uh, Alex may have mentioned this earlier, is to have a better plug and play system where the technology that was chosen at the time of design can be easily upgraded at the car's midlife. We do see that, you know, midlife and even even before that, refurbs of interiors and things. And yeah, it's obviously a, a theme kind of going forward. And Okay, so the final section of our discussion, we were going to talk about condition-based monitoring of rolling stock, you know, another growing area of the field. And uh, there's a lot of interest in this. And it's, I think it's a concept, to be, to be perfectly honest, it's been talked about for a long time, but not necessarily been adopted as quickly by the industry as many people would have hoped. So perhaps reflecting on that, can, uh, can you both uh, outline what your current strategies are in this area? And um, and how can we you know, monitor the condition of rolling stock in order to inform maintenance practices and improve reliability, which is what we all want? So. I've seen this concept try to be adapted in the last 10 to 15 years. It's very challenging. Condition-based maintenance, if you think about it, you're, it's uh, using a real-time or a non-real-time means to transfer data off that vehicle to the end user with a goal of detecting a potential system condition that could lead to an onboard failure. You do not want the vehicle to fail while in service. So the idea of condition-based maintenance is to give the end user some sort of early warning system. I'm approaching a point of an impending failure. Let's get that vehicle back off of service. And um, it's a challenge. You know, The approach we're having at Clever Devices is twofold. Let's we're taking full advantage of what we've done on the bus side with our automatic vehicle maintenance projects. All the lessons learned dealing with all different agencies. And we listen to what the agency wants when it comes to vehicle maintenance. They want access of the diagnostic data, but in a simplistic form. In the past, uh, vendors have tried and some car, and car builders basically are just supporting whatever onboard system systems were there. It's not the, and Alex may correct me, it's not the car builder that's designing this, it's whoever the car builder chooses as a system maintenance solution provider. 
in the past, it's it's been too much data. It's data overload. Agencies want filtered data. They want early warning. The key is to minimize service disruptions. They want to decrease their scheduled maintenance. They want to improve vehicle efficiency and the reliability. So that's the goal of CBM. And uh, Clever Devices is striving to have some sort of solution utilizing, as I said, what we've done on the bus side with potentially have something we could offer to agencies in the near future. Sure. No, that, that's obviously like the, you know, the real concept behind behind this. Are there any like concrete examples from the, from the industry you know, where this has become more successful? You know, we mentioned at the beginning that it's been a challenge sort of in the last, you know, an idea that's been around for for however long, but it's been a challenge by the industry to actually you know, adopt this. You know, are, are there good examples of where, you know, where this is working well and and where efficiency has been improved? Absolutely. I mean, on the train sector, and I'll let John comment on um, bus experience. We've deployed this in many of our uh, of our maintenance center because Alstom does maintenance of, of railway vehicles as well as uh, operation throughout the world. So we have implemented Health Hub, uh, train scanner around the world. But we've also had operators. I know there's one in Poland. There's another one in, in the UK who have implemented the Health Hub solution with the train the train scanner and have been able to reduce their maintenance costs, both in terms of labor and material significantly. And when I say significantly, 15, 20% is the range yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was told. So uh, it is uh, very interesting for, for the operator, right? Also, what, one way we found that we can uh, further convince authorities to embark on this is by offering additional sensors that we can mount on the trains uh, for, you know, for example, um, the track measurement or uh, pantograph measurement that will, as the train runs in operation, will gather data about the state of, of the track or the, the panto and allow for detection of potential failure and therefore focused maintenance on the wayside as well as on the train. Well, basically, I've seen, and again, this is in my past life with New York City Transit. Uh, Alex mentioned uh, we've done some pilots with certain car builders on onboard censoring, and that definitely had promise. You know, it, mm. it leads to it leads to the topic of what challenges can be faced when you have a wider deployment of uh, condition-based maintenance. And it, I think you could break it down very simply. The two challenge areas are data and hardware. Getting enough data that has accuracy of that historical, you know, the accuracy of historical data, statistics to really determine have we met that go, no go threshold where there's a potential problem. And you need more data for that. The filtering of data, streamlining it. When it comes to hardware, it's the quality of the sensors being used, you know, and assessing the component onboard component failure modes. So your system is going to be as good as your subsystem's health monitoring capability is. You know, they tie in together. Do you have any ideas or you know, any experience of how those, those particular challenges might be overcome? So I, I like to uh, crawl before I walk. Uh, sure. Clever devices, uh, we have a several, several pilot projects, I can't go into detail yet, where we're looking at smaller subsystems first. So we have some ideas for a mini condition-based maintenance approach, looking at specific subsystems on the vehicles. Let's say doors and air brake systems and HVAC. Introduce what we've learned on the bus side and incorporate it into these user-friendly modules on the rail side. 
So we, we're preferring to uh, walk slowly and try to gain through these pilots, uh, gain the trust of the agencies to then let us go further and expand on that pilot. And Kevin, it, for me and Alstom, it's really a case of change management, right? We have, yeah. uh, you know, when we show, uh, you know, the leadership of authorities, the, the benefit of our approach, they embark, they're willing to do it. But then when you go into details and talk to the workers who are used to do maintenance on a 30 days or 90 day cycle Sorry. with, you know, very clear task and so on, uh, we have to show them what is uh, what are the benefits and show them that, yes, there might be reduction in maintenance costs and maintenance work, but that means that the, the staff can focus on delivering uh, added value uh, work for the end customer, you know, better service, better planning, uh, other amenities and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's really change management. Alex brings out a, a very good point, Kevin. Uh, agencies, and this is my past life as well as current life, you know, they'll look at a price tag but then you need to take a step back. If condition-based maintenance could avoid a system disruption, what is the cost to an agency when you lose service on a certain train line? You're introducing uh, discomfort to the customers. If you can avoid that, you can't put a price tag on it. So you have to look at it from many ways. Yes, you're investing, you're adding more hardware on the cars, but you're improving overall reliability. And at the end of the day, your riders are benefiting. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's all got to be the focus for, for what we do, right? I mean, the, you know, the one thing uh, <laughs> I've always heard from my past life and uh, many customers taking a rail, many of them, honestly, don't know about all the background systems Alex and I talked about. They only care that the vehicle is safe, comes to the station on time and gets them to their destination. We have to be responsible and work together with the car builders to make sure everything behind the scenes gives them that safe and reliable ride. Exactly. And you know, coming back to the start of the discussion, and a focus on being sustainable as well, isn't it? With you know meeting needs for reducing emissions and you know, becoming more energy efficient. And, and also, like you said, an attractive place for people to you know, use and, and ride and travel the, using the rail networks. Indeed. And, and uh, as John mentioned, you know, people just want to get places, right? They want to enjoy their ride. They don't want to be disturbed. So they're, you know, they're either waiting for the train to arrive, waiting to arrive at their destination. Um, they, they don't want to hear about anything else. I mean, they, you know, the train is there to get them places. And that's what we do. Great. Well, I think I'll leave it there then, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time today. And thanks for your great and insightful answers. And yeah, good luck for the for the future of you know, the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. And I'll add one last line. So uh, Alstom and Clever Devices are working together to deliver Metro with a whole new fleet of commuter rail vehicles. And so far, we're hand in hand in trying to get the Metro customers that solution they want. Indeed, indeed. And it's an exciting time for uh, the rail industry, that's for sure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to hear new episodes as they are released. And as always, for all the latest global railway industry news, visit railjournal.com. I'm Kevin Smith, and this has been Rail Group On Air.